This is the fifth part of a ten-part series detailing the Makos, the Makot in Mitzrayim, and trying to identify some of the more subtle motifs of each Makah. The fifth Makah is the Makah of Dever, pestilence, a plague which felled all the animals in Egypt, mass death of animals, a contagion, and it would seem to be very straightforward, but it's anything but. And there are many, many different layers to the Maka, based on the Psukim, based on the way it's described in Tehillim. And I'll try to isolate just two or three. Again, based on the Psukim in Vaira, the Pasuk in Tehillim, which references Dever, and some of Chazal's uh, definitions or interpretations. Hashem uh, warns Paro through Moshe that if he isn't careful and he doesn't release the Jewish people, the hand of Hashem will afflict your cattle. Some reason, Deber is referred to as the hand of Hashem, as opposed to all the other makos. And it's referred to not by the Khartoumim who are suffering the maka, as they w- suffered through Kinem, they recognize Etzbel Kimhi, this is the finger of God, but it's titled as Yad Hashem by the Rabbon Hashem himself. Hashem instructs Moshe to convey that to Para. And in fact, on the night of Pesach, when we read the Haggadah, we recite four psukim from Kitavo, in the section known as Tse Ulamad, the fourth pasuk describes, the fourth pasuk of Arami Oved Avi section describes the exodus, the delivery from Mitzrayim. That fourth pasuk begins, Vayatzienu Hashem Malakinu Misham, Hashem emancipated us from Egypt, Biyad Chazaka, with a strong hand, which would typically mean on a literal level, with strength, with power. But the Haggadah cites a Medrash, which interprets the phrase in Kisavo, in that Pasuk of Arami Oved Avi, Biyad Chazaka Zudever. Because of this Pasuk in Vaera, because Hashem had identified Dever as Yad Hashem, so when we recite the Pasuk describing Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Biyotzeinu Hashem Lokeinu Misham Biyad Chazaka, that obviously refers to Dever. Why is Dever, amongst all the other Makot, described as Yad Hashem? To make matters more interesting, there's a very famous medrash that Rishor ben Levi said that every makkah was accompanied by dever. Not just the fifth makkah, but every makkah had dever as a backdrop. Now one way of reading the medrash, and there are variants in the medrash which can be read this way, it's not dever per se, but just death, that every makkah was deadly. You may think that some of the makkot were just minor inconveniences, but there were people dying in every makkah. So dever in that medrash doesn't mean the death of cattle, through plague and, and contagious disease, but there was death in every Makkah. But the literal reading of the Medrash and Rabbi Shor ben Levi's statement is not that there was death in every Makkah, but there was Dever in every Makkah. What makes Dever so crucial, so central, that it's a backdrop to every Makkah, and it's referred to as Yad Hashem? So some want to claim that Dever was an attack on the Egyptian cattle, and the Egyptians worshipped their cattle. So since this was a repudiation of the Egyptian religion, it's referred to as Yad Hashem. That would not be enough simply because there were so many things the Egyptians worshipped. Again, in a paganistic world, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because we're so monotheistic. But paganism is defined by multiple gods, multiple objects of deification. And even in the Egyptian case, they worshipped the Nile, they worshipped the sun, they worshipped the Nachash, they worshipped so much, including cattle. So it's hard to imagine that Dever's spotlight as Yad Hashem is solely because it attacked one of their gods, 
Dam could have been called Yad Hashem because it attacked the Nile. Choshech could have been called Yad Hashem because it attacked the sun. So there's something more. There's something more about this association of Dever as Yad Hashem. Part of it may lie in the fact that, and, and I've been trying to highlight this, the Makos have different functions. Some are punitive and penal. Some are uh, releasing the Jewish people, shifting their status, and I'll talk about this a bit later in Dever. Some of them are theological, and a Kurdish Baruch was showcasing monotheism through an Egyptian culture that denied its presence. Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov had begun to spread monotheism throughout the Mediterranean crescent, but the Egyptian culture remained defiant. When Pyro hears about Hashem in Parsha Shemos, when Moshe introduces Hashem, Pyro says, Mi Hashem, Asher I know not of this God. So part of the Makos is not just to punish or to release or to, or to teach moral lesson. Part of it is in, to introduce the Egyptian culture to monotheism, to the notion of a God you can't see, a world you can't see, that just because you can't see or paint or sculpt or isn't anchored to the world of material doesn't mean it isn't a powerful world. That's the basis of monotheism. You can't see, of course, not just you can't see, you can't understand HaKadosh Baruch Of all the Makos which were, uh, um, which were uh, sent to the Egyptians, which were delivered to the Egyptians, the Makkah that had the least physical component, that was completely invisible, that had no palpable reference, was the Makkah of Dever. Every other Makkah had something physical, water changing to blood, dust changing to shrin, even, even the darkness was very palpable, the Yameh The one Makkah which wasn't was the Makkah of Dever, was some unseen microbe, some virus that attacked the cattle, that led to mass contagion and mass disease. And there's nothing palpable, no? It wasn't like the Arov where these wild animals came and started uh, predating and attacking. It was simply something invisible, and it taught the Egyptians that there's a, a world the eye can't see, and probably the mind can't even detect because their science wasn't able to crack that inner microbial world, obviously. But it's a powerful world, and it's a world that characterizes HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't be seen, it can't be understood by the human mind. So, Dever was a theological message, a theological lesson of monotheism. And that's why it's called Yad Hashem, and in many ways it's a lesson through taunting. Hashem warns them. And this is something, it's important, it's not a response of the of the magicians, it's a warning that Moshe delivers to Paro. Hashem's hand will grab your cattle. And the paganists probably assumed that God was physical and some reptile hand would stretch out from heaven and grab cattle and swallow them alive, like some uh, science fiction movie. So they were waiting for the hand of God, they were waiting for fingers, they were waiting for, for something they could see, and, and nothing happened. It all just happened in an invisible fashion. The cattle just started dying, and they realized the hand of Hashem can't be seen. The, again, this is a, a, a basic lesson in monotheism. It's, it's being directed to paganists and has to be done in very, very graphic terminology. They have to all look to the heaven, expect a hand, and see nothing. And then realize that God's hand isn't something the human eye can see. So Dever is referred to as Yad Hashem, Hayab And the truth is the process had already begun in Kinim, the third Makkah, because once the material was reduced, there's still material in Kinim, the dirt turned into to bugs and insects and, and lice, but but it was very small, and the magicians had a difficult time reproducing the miracle, and at least according to Rashi, because pagan magic was, is tethered to material, and when the material shrinks, 
and pagan magic starts to lose some of its impact. And they themselves started to recognize this is the finger of Hashem. And they realized that Hashem's finger is not something physical, palpable, not something material. And they said, but that was just their response, and that response in Mach of Kinem could have just been spur of the moment. But in the case of Dever, there's a very articulated, very clear message that this is the hand of Hashem which will afflict you, and they looked to the heavens expecting a hand, and they really saw nothing. And, and the second time that this happened, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu introduced them to the non-visibility and, and non-physicality of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was ultimately Makas Bacharos and Dever, and Makas Bacharos are very, very integrally linked. Um, there's a Pasuk in Tehillim, which I mentioned before, in Perek Ayin Ches, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, Quarantine the animals to Dever. I'll talk about that word later. Perak Ayin Ches Pasuk Nun Yifales Nasivli Apo Lo Chasach Mimavis Nafsham. Hakadosh Baruch dispatched his anger. <coughs> Excuse me. He didn't protect them from death. V'chayasam la Dever Hiskir and Hashem delivered. I talk about that pasuk a little bit later. The word Hiskir. Hashem delivered their animals to Dever to death. And the next pasuk Nun Aleph. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu slaughtered all the firstborns in Egypt. So, even though in Parshas Va'era, Dever and Bo are separated from each other, Dever is number five, Bo is number, let's make sure I have the count, that Dever is number five and Makas Bacharis is number ten, they are symmetrically aligned because they are both introducing death in a non-visible fashion and reminding the Egyptians that Hashem is in physical and in fact, if Dever is referred to as Yad Hashem in Parshas Bo, in Parshas Vezos Habracha, the last Pasuk in the Torah, Ulechol Hayat HaChazaka, the great hand of Hashem, Chazal interpret that mention of Yad Chazaka in the end of the Torah, not in Kitava, but in Vezos Habracha, that's referred to as Makas Becharis, is a very well-known medrash on that last Pasuk in the Torah, that the last Pasuk, Moshe wrote, Yad HaChazaka, reminded them about Makas Becharis. So you have the word Yad HaChazaka, or Yad Hashem, twice defining Makos. Once it defines Dever, once it defines Makas Becharis, the combination between the two is not just death, but death through non-physical means, as opposed to Arov, as opposed to Barad, as opposed to some of the other forms of death which were wrought upon the Egyptians. So this is the first theme of Dever. It's non-physical, it's something which can't be seen, and therefore it's referred to as Yad Hashem, to lessen the Egyptians to a degree by taunting them. And even the word Dever, the word Dever shares etymological root with the word Dibur, something which was spoken. Hashem spoke, nothing happened. No water to blood, no frogs or crocodiles, no wild animals, no dust turning to boils, it just Hashem spoke. It was a speech of Hashem, nothing the human eye could see. And that's why the section of Dever constantly uses the word Davar as a play on words to the word Dever. None of the Jews lost anything. Hashem said, or Moshe said, Hashem will create this Davar. So the word Dever comes from the word Davar, something which is spoken. And the Torah itself makes ample, ample use of this play on words between Dever and Davar. So this is the first theme, as I mentioned. It's a very, very loaded maka. The first theme is Hashem announces it, IDs it, identifies it as Yad Hashem 
in order to teach the Egyptians that Yad Hashem isn't physical. This is a lesson in monotheism. The second part of Dever is, as I mentioned when I introduced the Makov Arov, these three Makos, Arov, Dever, and Shechin, the Adash of Rabbi Yehuda's Simanim, were meant not to break the Egyptian technological prowess to take away their Nile and irrigation, to take away the construction industry, the fishing industry, but it was aimed at reducing the Egyptian city, the Egyptian society. If you can't control the animal kingdom and set boundaries between civilization and the jungle, you don't have a city. Contagion and Dever is the best way to fill a city. And we, we've seen so often in history how epidemics and pandemics can literally sow not just death, but also fear and panic and people avoiding each other and the whole basis of a community is that people live together in greater uh, contact, and that contact and proximity and pooling of resources helps them protect themselves, helps them feed each other, helps them build organized societies. But the one danger in living in close proximity is if there's contagion, is if there's disease, and it just spreads much more. It ravages people much more quickly and much more ferociously than if people live separate or different mountaintops in different regions. So the, the, the greatest danger, the greatest curse to any society is an inability to contain an epidemic and a contagious disease. And in both Dever and Shin, you see the starting to break out. It starts with the cattle, but remember they lived in such close quarters with cattle. And we even saw in the last decade how certain forms of mad cow disease and bovine disease can really, or, or swine flu, these types of diseases that are carried by animals can very, very quickly spread to human beings, very quickly. And you can imagine what was happening. Certainly the cattle were cordoned off, the cattle were quarantined, but it's pretty likely that it wasn't just cattle who were quarantined in Egypt. There were others who were quarantined as well. And it's something which continues the theme of Arov, the breaking or the dismantling of the Egyptian city, it will be once again reinforced in Shechin, and even in some ways in Barad, which is a bridge mark on that's why it occurs at the end of Vaira, bridging between the Makos, the seven of Vaira, and the three of Bo. Um, this should be obvious just by reading about Dever. It's emphasized by that Pasuk in Tehillim. The Pasuk in Tehillim describes Dever, again, Perak Einches, Pasuk Nun, Yifales Nasiv Le'apo, Hashem, paved a path for his anger, allowing his anger to be poured upon the Egyptians. Lo chasach mimavis nasham. Hashem did not spare their souls from death. Vechayasam, and their animals, and notice the term chaya, sounds like not just the domesticated animals received dever, but even the wild animals, perhaps even the carcasses or whatever wild animals still remain from Arav. This pasuk is, is a very intriguing association of the Arav to dever, because there were a lot of chaos which invaded the human space and the human civilization, and if they started to come down with epidemics, and that made the epidemics even more terrifying, even more dangerous. But either way, the chayasam ladever hisgir, Hashem subjected their animals, their domesticated animals, their wild animals, ladever hisgir. Very interesting verb. Hashem didn't punish henish or hemis or hishchis. His gear, he closed them. What does it mean Hashem closed the animals? He turned them, he, he, his gear from the word sagar. Well, what do you do when someone is sick? You quarantine them. The word sagar in this context probably is, is very uh, reminiscent of a mitzara muskar, the his gear hakohen. When someone comes down with mitzara 
and obviously Mitzara is attributed to moral moral crimes, but at least in the parsha, it's someone who just comes down with a disease that you don't want to spread, so you close him off, you quarantine, you cordon off, you take him away from society, take him out of society. So this pasuk in Tehillim actually details an element of Dever which should be obvious, but isn't really stressed textually in the Psukim in Vaira, but it comes out very, very clearly in the Psukim of in, in Tehillim. And that is the second theme of Dever. The first theme of Dever is the highlighting of monotheism, the highlighting of the invisibility of Hashem, and the taunting of the Egyptians by referring to this Maka as Yad Hashem, and ultimately referring to Bukharos, at least retrospectively, as Yad Hashem, when there's really nothing physical that anyone can trace. The second element is the disease factor, the contagious factor, the quarantine, and the quarantine as part of dismantling Egyptian city life and, and the ability to live in a community. The first three makos take away Egyptian technology, and the middle three attack Egyptian urbanization, again, in, in their terms. The third part is, in many ways, the, one of the most fascinating parts of Dever. For some reason, the Torah in Parshas Vaira is very, very explicit that the, all the Egyptian cattle were felled by Dever. It's very clear, susim, horses, chamarim, donkeys, gmalim, camels, bakar, tzon, it's almost superfluous, almost redundant. Words that don't, we don't need those words. Once we said, kol uh, why do we need a, a, a list? But then, the Torah says, uh, Moshe informs them, v'hifla Hashem be'mekinei Yisrael v'mekinei Mitzrayim, Hashem will discriminate between Jewish cattle and Egyptian cattle, namely Jewish cattle won't be afflicted. Well, this is clear. This is something which is consistent with the previous mock of Arov, in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu discriminated between the Jewish town of Goshen and the Egyptian town. It's the same word, v'hiflesi, Hashem will discriminate, Hashem will differentiate. So here Hashem is mafleh, between Jewish cattle and Egyptian cattle. But here there's a curveball. Here, there, here there's a surprise. The Torah, after telling us Hashem will spare the Jewish people, none of the Jewish cattle will die. Well, that's obvious. If Hashem will spare them, then their cattle won't die. Why does the Torah repeat? Why does the Torah specify something which we could infer? But if that's not enough, that concept appears three times in this section. This section is one of seven psukim. Seven psukim describing the Makkah. Within a span of seven sukim, the Torah describes that the Jewish cattle didn't die. That first mention in Pasuk Dalid, and then again when the Makkah occurs, Vayas Hashem es hadavar hazemi macharas, Vayamas kol meknei Mitzrayim, all the cattle of Egypt died. Again, umi meknei b'nei Yisrael lo meis echad, and not one single cattle of the Jewish people suffered. Second time, the Torah specifically reminds us the Jewish cattle didn't die. And then again, by Yishlach Paro, Paro sends messengers to discover what happened. Again, Jewish cattle did not die. Three times saying the same thing, and that's just the same idea, but an idea which could easily be inferred from that original general description that Hashem discriminated between the Jewish cattle and the Egyptian cattle. Part of what's happening in Dever, part of what's happening in Dever, is reorienting the Egyptian economy, and most importantly, most importantly, changing the status of the Jewish people vis-à-vis the Egyptians, vis-à-vis themselves. I spoke about this already in the Makkah of Kinim, that by afflicting the Egyptians with lice and debasing them, 
the hierarchy between master and servant was shifted, and the Egyptians no longer saw themselves in the same arrogant, superior terms to these slaves, these dirty, lice-infested slaves. Part of it is not just debasing and reducing Egyptian hubris, but part of it is reinstating and resurrecting Jewish pride. And so many of the makos are necessary to, to slowly generate a Jewish imagination, to slowly prepare these slaves for redemption, for liberation, for Kabbalah Satara at Har Sinai. The Egyptians rerouted Jewish labor. Jews, when they descended into Egypt, in Parshas Miketz, Parshas Vayigash, they approached Paro and they remind him that we are shepherds. Jews were shepherds in Egypt before they were enslaved. Shepherding was, it used to be an art, it was a skill. For us, shepherding is just uh, making sure that animals have something to eat or drink. But for in those days, it was, it was an art, it was a profession. This was the Jewish profession. David was a shepherd, Moshe was a shepherd, etc., etc. All of our leaders had their start as shepherds. And these shepherds were taken and forced into construction, and forced into back-breaking labor, and forced into demeaning labor. And what do you think happened right after Dever? All the Egyptian cattle died. The only people in Egypt left with any cattle, whether it was uh, edible cattle, whether it was camels, whether it was horses, the only people, plains clothes people, maybe officials still had horses, the army evidently still had horses, which would be swallowed up at the Yamsuf. But the only people with cattle were the Jewish people. So first of all, it redistributed wealth, because cattle, again, we don't really appreciate how expensive cattle are. You know, we just uh, go to the butcher and supermarket and buy a slab of meat, but cattle is extremely expensive, and if the Egyptians lost all their cattle, and the only people who could raise cattle and livestock were the Jews, so all of a sudden, the balance of wealth is shifting, and shifting the balance of wealth is an important part of the process, as HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avraham, so they start to get wealthy, but more than wealthy, they start to become farmers, shepherds, livestock raisers. And all of a sudden, the clock is set back 210 years. This is what we're meant to be. This is who we are. This is who we were. And this is who we will resume becoming. It's a incredibly revolutionary moment in the lifespan of a slave. He heard stories about his grandparents, he heard stories about their their lives, but they never dreamed he would lead their lives, and all of a sudden he wakes up one morning and has to go tend to his cattle. It's a very palpable, visceral sign that Gaul is on the way. So this is an aftermath of Dever. That, and that's why the Torah is so adamant Egyptians lost their cattle, Jews didn't, not a one, and it wasn't just a, a sign that this miracle was supernatural and intended to protect the Jews, to deliver the Jews, but it shifted the Egyptian economic landscape and it returned Jewish people to their historical labor activity. And, and there's, again, there's just so much endeavor, and in addition to that, if Jewish cattle was being protected and cultivated while Egyptian cattle was dying in a supernatural fashion, so the aftermath was that the Jews became shepherds. But the process reminded the Jews that there was a divine shepherd, that there was 
Hashem would appear to them as a shepherd. Again, which in our minds is very, very antique and very outdated. Shepherding really isn't a part, but in the ancient minds, the notion of Hashem, Ro'i Lo Echsar, Hashem is my shepherd, I will not fear, is important image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and is even more important and more crucial as they are about to be led into the desert to be shepherded by Hashem as a, as, as a team of cattle. They have to be able to sense that Hashem knows how to shepherd. And this is a, a, an incredible, striking moment. And part of the lesson is directed at Am Yisrael, not just at the Egyptians. And if you don't believe me, take a look at this Pasuk in Tehillim. It's just so striking. And again, you have to really see the references of the Makos as they're discussed in Tehillim. Parakayin Ches, the Pasukim I've read. Yifaleis Nasiv Le'apo, Hashem sent His anger. I'm, I'm summarizing them, paraphrasing. Chayasam Ladever Hiskir. Hashem cordoned off their animals to Dever. And then ultimately the delivery consummated through Makas Bacharas, Pasuk Nun Aleph. Hashem slaughtered the firstborn, and again, retaining, protecting Jews. At first he protects cattle as a shepherd, then he protects them. And then Pasuk Nun Beis, the exact next Pasuk, it's, it's eerie. Hashem traveled, took his people on a trip into the desert, like cattle. He took his people like cattle. Vayinahagain Kaeder, and he led them like a herd of cattle, Kaeder, Bamidbar in the desert. Who can read these Sukim into Helam without seeing the connection between Dever and the trip through the desert, between protecting Jewish cattle in the Makkah of Dever, protecting Jewish lives as cattle, protecting the herd of Jews in Becharos, then leading them into the desert like cattle and like a herd, protecting them in the desert. These are the four basic themes of Dever. Monotheism on display. The contagion, the disease begins. Shifting the balance of wealth and restoring the Jewish people to their original professions as shepherds. And highlighting the Rabboni Shalom as an able shepherd.